Thank you, Don. Thank you, ladies, for that offertory as well. New song that the ladies have sung. Ephesians chapter number 6 tonight, as we continue our journey of spiritual warfare, looking at another piece of the armor that God has given to us in Ephesians chapter number 6. We're looking at them individually, but remember, Paul reminds us that we must put on the whole armor of God. And so it's not, I like this one, I don't really like this one. In fact, if we understood it, we really grasp it. We like all of them because they're all good and they're good for us. But we must keep in mind we've got to put it all together. Ephesians chapter number 6. And um, let's pick up our reading where we have been. Verse number 10. So let's go ahead and stand together if we're able to do so physically. Verse number 10. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Again, I pause to remind us He's emphasizing there, regardless of whatever conflict you may be facing, whether it's with another person, whether it's with something else, the ultimate battle, the right enemy we are to do battle with is in a high place. It's in the invisible realm. It's something that is beyond our five senses. And so we, if we don't grasp that, we're going to do battle in the wrong place, and we're defeated already. Verse number 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And here's where we are tonight. And take the helmet of salvation. We've mentioned these pieces of armor. The first three pieces are those that we're to always have about us. Having our loins, verse 14, Gird about with truth, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. We're always to have that. And it's, we compared it to a uniform. If a baseball player went out, he has his uniform on, whether they're up to bat or they're in the, out in the field. And then the next bit of armor are those we take up as we would need them and understanding how to appropriate them. And tonight we're looking at the helmet of salvation. Thank you. Please be seated. A man who operated a tattoo parlor was asked, Why do you think so many people come in here to get tattoos? And a lot of people do. In fact, remember years ago when uh, we, I guess it was back in evangelism that we would a lot of times look at our itinerary and see 
what NASCAR race we would be around and, and we would many times in a year get to at least a qualifying, sometimes a Saturday night race because we were in the same town. And I, I always thought it was interesting before the race or even during the race, reading the advertisement upon people's bodies and trying to read the tattoos. It was like reading a, a magazine and, and then looking at people's tattoos that were mistakenly put on there. Um, I mean, all it took was a simple dictionary uh, to be able to spell four-letter, five-letter words. And so it would be quite humorous to look at these. But anyway, why do you think so many people come in here to get tattoos was a question asked to the attendant of the tattoo parlor. And the man replied without any hesitation, because before there's ever a tattoo on the body, there's a tattoo on the mind. In other words, he's saying that people display on their bodies what has already been pictured in their minds. What we think often shows up in our five senses as something we can see, something we can touch, taste, hear, or smell. And that's why the next piece of armor we need to strap on in this spiritual battle is a helmet. This is because a helmet not only covers the head, but it's also designed to protect the mind. The main purpose of the helmet in a battle or in sports or work situations like construction sites, it's to protect the brain from injury. A football player's helmet is padded inside to help absorb the shock when he gets pounded. And they're becoming more sophisticated because they've seen a number of concussions and they've seen the result after a number of years of what it's done. And people getting paid a lot of money to be hit and to hit have recognized it doesn't do a whole lot of good to get paid an astronomical amount if they can't enjoy it when the sport ends. And so the padding on these helmets has been quite um, heavily invested in. See, the brain must fiercely be protected because once the brain is damaged, body functions and other things also become damaged. A football player suffering too many concussions can no longer play at the level he once could or even play at all. With the helmet, Paul once again uses a, a physical example to illustrate a spiritual truth. He, he demonstrates that just as the brain is the control center for the rest of the body, the mind is the control center for our will and our emotions. And our mind must be protected with a helmet that is able to absorb the shock of being hit by the enemy. He's not talking about a ball cap. He's not talking about a, a hat that just fits the, the decor, the uniform ensemble that you're wearing. But he's talking about something that will protect being hit by the enemy and even knocked to the ground in the spiritual realm. He's talking about the influence of the mind. Satan wants to attack the mind. That's what he did with Eve. The first sin entered into this universe, into the human race, because Satan went after the mind. We know this in Genesis 3, 
We also know Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 3, where he talked about his concern for the church of Corinth and that Satan, through his subtlety, he says, just as he did with Eve, would corrupt the simplicity of Christ. See, the helmet here refers to the mind that is controlled by God. Too many Christians have the idea that intellect is not important, when in reality, it plays a vital role in Christian growth, Christian service, and victory. You see, when God controls the mind, Satan cannot lead the believer astray. That's why the emphasis of the preaching of God's Word is so important. The study of God's Word is so essential. The teaching of God's Word is so vital. Because when a person's mind is controlled by God, Satan cannot lead a believer astray. You may be familiar with Alzheimer's and you may have a relative who has suffered from Alzheimer's. Christie's mom passed early as a result of Alzheimer's. I believe she was right at 67 and very early. She was a nurse and she was a nurse that was trained in, in practically every area and even in that realm at one time. And, and one of the last places she worked was in Athens and and she was already struggling. We began seeing some things that, that may have been a result of the Alzheimer's setting in in its early stages. But if you're familiar with it, you understand that Alzheimer's, it will lead to debilitating disease um, of one's body. And it's just, it's ravishing homes. And one of the, the tragedies of it is, the one who experiences it doesn't seem to recognize as much of the danger and the trauma as those who are the caretakers for one, having to watch somebody that is only a shell of what they once knew and very, very, very difficult. Notable people have suffered from the effects of this disease, including President Ronald Reagan and boxer Sugar Ray Robinson and actor Charlton, uh, Charlton Heston and Alzheimer's, it, it, it causes the brain to no longer be able to function as it should. And so it deteriorates over time. As Alzheimer's sets in, patients become less able to control or care for themselves. The worse Alzheimer's becomes, the less control the person has over their life. But the same is true in the spiritual realm. A spiritual Alzheimer's sets in. Spiritual Alzheimer's sets in and we gradually lose control over our own lives. When our mind no longer functions as it was designed to, it impedes our will and our emotions from doing what God wants us to do. And this then influences the body as it responds to the will and the emotions. So it's no surprise. Don't, don't miss the fact that one of Satan's primary strategies is to attack our mind. So I said this morning, it's, it's mindsets that the Bible's trying to get across, right thinking. And we, if we miss that, we're just playing right into the trap of Satan's conquering and destroying us. In fact, this is such a critical area that each of the different pieces of spiritual armor, they all relate to the mind, to the thinking. 
I don't know that Satan really cares how we accomplish his goal. He'll use a fiery arrow of spiritual Alzheimer's, a conflict leading to a concussion in your life, a poison dart of paranoia. There are still people paranoid in our society. Or he'll use a, uh, an array of mental disorders uh, of strongholds in a person's life. Gripped with this that they can't shake this habit. Any damage Satan can use to, to um, one's mind to keep them from knowing and operating as God intends and calls us to be defeated. And Satan will use any weapon to attack our minds. But God has told us to put on the helmet of salvation, the helmet of deliverance as protection. In fact, uh, he's given us this illustration here of a helmet, and there's a lot of sports we can use. I've already mentioned football, the game of football. And um, the quarterback is the leader on the field. He calls the plays, and so the rest of the team can hear them, and, and then they respond. Because the quarterback runs the plays, he's constantly under attack from the opposing team. The defense is constantly trying to sack him, knock him down, block him, move him out of the way, intercept his pass, strip the ball from his hands, and the defense wants to make the quarterback really eat dirt on each and every play. That's their objective. They can do that. None of the plays are going to be effective. The quarterback's team will be unable to score and they'll eventually lose the game. But sitting up and high in the stadium in a booth is the individual whose title is offensive coordinator. And the offensive coordinator's job, among other things, is to communicate directly to the quarterback. So today, in the sophistication of those helmets, the offensive coordinator can communicate directly to that quarterback in his own ear through his own helmet. And he's talking to the quarterback and as far as how to move and what play to call and how to function, what to avoid and what to be on guard for. One of the reasons the offensive coordinator can do that, besides having studied the game film, knowing what the other team will do, besides having had experience in the game himself, he's sitting high enough to get a good view of everything. He's seated up above in the football heavenlies. And with a perfect view, he can see what the enemy is doing. He analyzes every movement of the opposition and he informs his quarterback, which is able to strategize and employ a strategy in overcoming the attack. You ever seen a quarterback in, in, uh, in a game and it's, 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 it's tight and, and, and it's very critical and it gets loud. And we're talking about the home team quarterback and, and he gets there behind the center, whether under, under the center or in shotgun formation. And he's trying to call the plays. The players are turning around and they're indicating we can't hear. And that quarterback will begin to hush the crowd. Now, he can't do that in the opposing stadium because that's just going to make him louder. But he'll, he'll quiet the crowd. And in fact, um, a lot of opposing teams to prepare for a big game or a, a playing a, against a big team that has a hostile home crowd, 
They practice using speakers blaring in their ears. They play music. They play uh, sounds of, of roaring of, uh, of the crowd. They practice that way to get used to this is what it's going to sound like. But the home team quarterback will get the, the, the crowd to quiet down so that his players can hear the play. It's a disadvantage to the opposing team. It's an advantage to the home team. Why? Because people's voices, it can confuse and, and crowd out the sound that needs to come from the offensive coordinator. In the Christian life, people's voices, their opinions, their thoughts, their accusations, sometimes their attempts to be even helpful, but sometimes they'll drown out God. What God is trying to speak to a believer in our helmet of salvation. People may have excellent intentions and they might even be trying to cheer you on, but in the middle of the battle, you've got to hear from God. You've got to know what God is speaking to you about. If a believer cannot hear God clearly, just like a quarterback cannot hear the offensive coordinator, it's going to result in defeat of some kind. One reason God wants us to wear a helmet of salvation is that the enemy's trying to stop us from accomplishing what God has for us to do. God wants to speak truth into our minds. He sits in the highest of high places. He sits in the heavenly. He has a view of the scene that, that we could not even comprehend. He sees the field much better than we can. He's examined the opposition of the strategy of the, of the, uh, the devil and the enemy. He's studied the game film much longer than we have. In fact, he's just God and he knows everything. So why wouldn't we listen to what God has to say? Besides this, God has a few secrets he wants us to hear. They're secrets because often what God has to say to you is meant only for you. Have you ever seen a football coach during a game speak something into his headset? He has this microphone. Uh, we were watching a little bit of the game yesterday and Priscilla's asking me about their microphone, why they have this cord, where is it going? Can we get one? How do we use all this? And, and it, it's, it, this is a high-tech device again. And I said, well, they're talking to the different coaches. You're talking to the coach upstairs. You're talking to the other coaches down below and whoever else is supposed to be in contact. You ever notice when they're talking into that microphone that many times they'll put their clipboard over their face or their hand over their face? And those microphones and those speakers are very high quality. They have no problem hearing what is said but they're covering up the wording of their mouth, the movement of their mouth, because they have some secrets they want to communicate with only their team. Now, they're not secrets in the sense that the other team would say, we've never heard of that before. No, they're secrets in the sense it's only designed for my team. It's designed for my quarterback. This is the play for us to run. The secret is in the implementation of the strategy of the play. God's secret for us is the implementation of truth. What does God want you to do now in this situation? We'll talk more about this later, but this is what we call rhema. 
there are two Greek words for the Word of God. One is logos. The other is rhema. Logos refers to all of the Bible, its entirety, the Word of God. Rhema refers to the spoken, specific Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Word, was the Word, John says. And when Jesus was speaking to Peter in Matthew 14, while on the water, Peter's in the boat, Jesus is Lagos. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Lagos said one word, rhema. He said, come. And Peter put his confidence in rhema, the truth to come. If Jesus, Lagos, said stay, then Peter would put his confidence in that command and stay. He put his confidence in rhema. It was a specific, secret truth designed to be implemented by Peter. I want to tell you, Satan is trying to disrupt. He's trying to keep you from hearing what God has to say. We need the helmet of salvation. The deciding factor in victory or defeat is going to be in your mind. If the mind, the spiritual expression of the brain, if it operates on a false grid of reality and truth, then the body will also function according to that false reality. A lot of God's people, I'm afraid, are, are living a false reality. In other words, your perspective is errant. Your mindset is flawed. Let me give you an example. If a believer says, my name is Alex and I'm an alcoholic, I want you to understand you're identifying yourself wrongly. You run the risk, a high risk, of giving in to another drink because of what your thinking tells you about yourself. The truth for a believer would be stated different. It would be, my name is, is Alex and I'm an overcomer. I have struggled with alcohol, but I'm a blood-bought child of the King who can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Get that? You get what I think about AA? We don't need AA. We need Almighty God. And those are two very different ways of summing up the same situation. Satan wants to provide defeat in your life, he'll do it through your thinking. Proverbs 23, 7 says, and strongly warns us to guard our minds, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You're not always what you think you are, but as you think, so you go, so you do. So back to our football illustration, it would be translated to say, as he hears from the coaching staff, so he executes the play. Essentially, we do what we think. Do you see even more so the importance of right mindsets, biblical mindsets? Let me give you another illustration. The Emancipation Proclamation. I believe it's a perfect example of this. We all know from history that Emancipation Proclamation was a docu document signed by President Lincoln that proclaimed the freedom of slaves. But we also know from history that being legally free is entirely different from being functionally free. 
See, news of the slaves' freedom didn't reach Florida until several months after the proclamation was drafted. News didn't reach Texas until Union soldiers marched into Galveston two years after the document proclaimed their victory. For years, legally freed slaves remained in bondage simply because of what they thought was true. Even though they were technically free, they remained virtual slaves, trapped in a false reality because they did not possess knowledge of the truth by which they could escape the bondage. You've seen these, the newest virtual reality games, especially the ones where they put a helmet on, they put on the, this face mask, these things over their eyes. And I've never done that, but I've seen um, people doing it. And they look funny doing it. But they themselves are not seeing it to be funny, unless it's a funny scenario. They're in the midst of fighting. They're, they're trying to survive. Their life is on the line. And, and, and they start moving and shifting and screaming and responding just as if they were actually there. That's what Satan tries to do to keep us from wearing the helmet of salvation. He shows us through his own headset what he thinks and tries to distort our thinking and getting us to buy into a reality that may seem right, feel right, smell right, as far as real, but it's not right because it's, it's coming from him. It's deception, it's deceit, and it's, it's doing with us what he did with Eve. It's taking truth that resonates and it sounds right and he begins to twist and, and he begins to put some pressure on. And what we need is to put on that helmet of salvation and hear from the offensive controller of, of our Christianity, God Almighty, the Spirit of the living God to help us who's our leader and teacher and guide into all truth. And when we know the truth and experience the truth, it's liberating. It's protecting. It's liberating. Well, it's the helmet of salvation. It's a valuable weapon. You may remember those of you who are familiar with the Beverly Hillbillies. Old Jed Clampett was the hillbilly who lived in Tennessee and was out hunting on his property for some food. He took a shot and found some black bubbling uh, oil coming up and that, that uh, black gold, that Texas tea, they said. And, and he, he, he sold his land, moved his family to Beverly Hills where they lived the life of millionaires. But the question is, when did Jed become a millionaire? Was it when he discovered the oil or was it when he acquired the land? He became a millionaire when he acquired the land. He just didn't know it. He didn't know the value of what he had in his possession. He lived for years as a hillbilly struggling to simply find his next meal. And when he got so used to the life of a hillbilly, he moved to Beverly Hills and 
We know that they had a hard time adjusting their way of living because they're so used to this. And I think many of God's people today are without the full knowledge of what we've been given at salvation. That's why we're emphasizing discipleship. And a discipleship is not just a class. It's getting people to see just as you would a baby. Peter compares us to a babe in Christ. We can't digest meat as a baby, but we can consume milk. And in his teaching, we, we take what we can. We don't understand it all. We never will. But we trust, we appropriate, we access what we can, and we keep saturating ourselves. A baby can't eat once a week. And God's people can't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And that can't be once a week either. We've got to have a steady diet. I am shocked. I'm appalled. I'm stunned. Sometimes I get ticked off and mad when I see God's people who have grown up in church and young people who have spent their years in Christian school, they act like they're not even saved. They don't even know the Bible. They don't even understand the books of the Bible. They couldn't tell you the plan of salvation, yet they tell you that they're on their way to heaven. Something is terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. And so Satan is trying to get us to be ignorant of God's riches and, and be ignorant of his devices and keeping us paralyzed with the spiritual Alzheimer's. But this valuable weapon is the helmet of our salvation. When a soldier goes into battle, any old helmet just will not do. Paul knew that when he wrote about the weapons of warfare, that he's referring to specific things that applied to warfare. He didn't say just find a belt, any old belt will do. He didn't say just make sure your head is covered. He's not talking about covering your head from the effects of the sun. He's talking about something that would protect your thinking. What's interesting about Paul's use of the word helmet of salvation is that he's writing to people who are already saved. He's not talking about Oh, because you're saved, you just check that one off, you have it. No, he's talking about the full scope of salvation. Salvation has three tenses. We tend to think of it only in the past tense. When we got saved, we were justified. We were given a declared position of change from darkness into light, from death into life. Family of Satan moved into the family of God. All that happened positionally in a moment. That's past tense. But salvation also has a present tense and a future tense. Past tense, we're saved from the penalty of sin. Present tense salvation is that which is called sanctification. It's the ongoing delivering. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us that Christ died to deliver us, listen, from this present evil world. Present tense salvation. And that's why we can't just look at salvation. Hey, you want to you wanna not go to hell? Who wants to go to hell? You need to get saved. That's only part of it. But to leave out the fact, you want to stop serving yourself, stop serving Satan. You want to live your life for the one who died and now lives for you. You want a new Lord, new master, new savior, new deliverer. That's Christ. That's sanctification. James talks about this in James 1 and verse 21, taking the word of God and grafting that into our hearts and lives. Why? To save our souls. Again, he's writing to save people. 
He's talking about delivering. Do you need deliverance tonight? Maybe there's struggle in your marriage. You need deliverance? You need the powerful word of God. You need deliverance from a stronghold? You need the powerful word of God. And this word of God tells us that there's a helmet that will protect your thinking and it's the helmet of deliverance, the helmet of salvation. I'm grateful for these verses in which Paul expounds upon Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where he talks about salvation. It's by grace. It's through faith. It's for good works. It's by faith, through grace, for good works. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul tells us the way a person gets saved is the way we live the Christian life. How? By grace, through faith, for good works. And the emphasis, if we think any other way, it leads to defeat. See, God's provision for us through the helmet of salvation is grace. Now, we didn't get as far into the message this morning, but I've said that the Sunday night armor spiritual warfare messages are tying in to the Sunday morning Galatians. If I would have gotten through the message this morning, it would be parallel because he's talking about grace in the morning's message. The fight against legalism, fight against license, and the gift of liberty, it all comes by grace. And you say, I don't know what you're talking about. You've got to listen to the morning message to get a hold of legalism, license, and liberty. But grace, what is grace? Well, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. Grace has nothing to do with you. How do you get saved? It has nothing to do with you. It's by God's grace. It, there's nothing... It has nothing to do with you. That's why a person says, I'm going to heaven because I've done the best I can. What does that mean? It means you're going to hell. You're not going to heaven. Because no one goes to heaven apart from salvation. No one experiences Bible salvation apart from grace. Grace means it has nothing to do with you. You can't do anything. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't steal it. You can't take it. Grace, it has absolutely nothing to do with you. Grace is all about what God has done for you, independent of you. You have no part to play in grace. And when you get saved, it's just as important that we access grace every day. And grace still is independent of you. See, grace includes all that God has already supplied you. There is nothing God can do for you that he has not already done. I want to sit on that one just a moment and jar your thinking. There's nothing that God can do for you that he has not already done. In fact, there's nothing God can provide for you that he has not already provided. Everything God is ever going to do for you, it's already been done. Let me just mention a few. Some are looking for healing. Every healing he will ever give you in your physical body, he's already provided. Every opportunity he's ever going to open up for you has already been opened. 
Every stronghold that God is ever going, ever going to break in you, it's already been broken. Every victory you're ever going to experience, it's already been won for you. The joy you desperately are seeking, it already exists. The peace that you stay up at night praying and wishing you could enjoy, it's already available. Even the power you need to live the life God's created for you, it already exists. And this is because God has already deposited in the heavenly realm every spiritual blessing you will ever need. So I know I can hear you from miles and miles away saying, Pastor, 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 that all sounds good, spiritual, and even encouraging. But if you're saying that I already have it, how come I don't have it? If I already got it, why can't I seem to get it? And the problem is not that you're lacking in grace or the things that grace supplies. The problem has to do with the way you access grace. It's through faith. There's only way to access what has already been given you. And most of our problems arise from a misunderstanding about faith. I mentioned in the men's prayer time this morning that Jesus told Peter, Satan is trying to destroy you. That's what Paul's trying to tell the church of Ephesus and us here tonight. Peter heard Jesus say these words, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when he finished with that statement, he says, and when you're converted, go and strengthen the brethren. Peter was already saved. What do you mean when I'm converted? He's talking about the ongoing work of salvation, that delivering work. And where does that delivering work take place in our life? When the helmet of salvation deliverance is on, we think right. And it has everything to do with our faith. That's why Jesus prayed, I prayed that your faith would not fail. Because every failure in our life is a faith failure. You don't access God's enabling grace by doing good things or being a good person. The only access point to grace is faith. That's the only way to get God's enabling grace. And missing this fundamental distinction concerning grace is what most of us experience by just simply putting on a soft cap. Because I like the hat. By not putting on the helmet of salvation that protects our thinking. You may wear a cap. It has your name on it. It might be your color. It might make you look good. It might provide you with some protection. But you cannot access grace through your works. In fact, the very moment you try to access grace by your works, this is exactly, exactly what Paul is saying in Galatians. When you try to access God's enabling favor and power and grace by you doing good or you being good, Paul says you nullify grace. It can't be grace. Grace by its very definition has nothing to do with you or with what you do. It is what God does for you independent of you because his unmerited favor. See, failure in religion by works 
is getting someone to reach and live for this dangling carrot. And they'll never reach it. They'll never uh, access that. The problem in the Christian life is the same of trying to, uh, to do right, do good, and to be good so I can get God's favor and power. As we saw this morning, that's legalism. The focus is wrong. The focus is on what I do instead of what God has already done and given to us. That's why he says it's a gift. Take the gift. Just take it and say thank you. And um, religion is going to keep us defeated because it keeps us in a posture of trying to earn what God's already given. And Satan wants to keep us in that cycle. Stay defeated. Keep trying to earn. You, you don't deserve it. You need to do more for it. Hold, hold your, 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 your side of, of this bargain and, and, and maintain some decency of thankfulness and gratitude and, and try to work harder for what God has provided. It'll keep you defeated each and every day. Some of us are working so hard to do better. We go to church more, read more, do more. We only discover... We're still not delivered. Hudson Taylor experienced that in his little book, Spiritual Secrets. He said, I tried to fast more. I tried to read my Bible more. I, I tried to strive more. And he said, after doing more for Jesus, I found myself more defeated. Why? Because he went the legalism route. He went with the focus on what I do instead of recognizing by faith and accessing what God has already offered. It's like a, a child trying to earn their parents' love. In a healthy home that functions the way God designed it, the parents love the child unconditionally. There's nothing the child can do to make their parent love them. But if they don't recognize that and a child is trying to earn their keep, to stay there as a five-year-old in the home and trying to get mom and dad to love me, it could be a very frustrating way to live. I want to tell you a secret that in all my years of ministry and counseling, I've discovered that few people really know that God loves them. Few people really know that God loves them. In fact, God does love you. He demonstrated it. You know, God cannot love you any more than he already does. He can't. He showed, it's not because you're that unlovely and it's not because he's limited. It's because he loves you as powerful and as great as is possible to be loved. I'm talking about you. God loves each of you more than it is even possible to measure or even fathom. God showed us how much he loves you. He showed you that by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. When God sacrificed his own son and he turned his back on his own son, at that point of his death, he gave you all the love he could ever give you. You don't need to try to make God love you by doing something more. You can't do it. What you can do, though, is access his love through faith. Through faith. See, faith is the positive response to what God has already done. You move into a house and you're sitting in the dark. You realize, you know, I don't like it being so dark. So you call the power company. You say, there's a problem here. We have no light. Power company says it's because you have no power. You have to establish an account. 
You've got to pay a bill. We can get you started. And so you go through the process and you establish the account. Power company calls and says, you have power. And you sit there with your family and one of your kids speak up and say, but dad, why are we still sitting in the dark? And dad says, I don't know. We established account. We paid the bill. I don't know. You call the power company and you say something's wrong. We paid the bill. We have the account, but we're sitting in the dark. And the power company says, Mr. Ingram, did you ever think about flipping the switch? Well, no, I didn't. Why don't you flip the switch? Good idea. Now, it's, it's only an illustration. That would never happen because my wife would have flipped the switch long before that would have ever occurred. In the spiritual realm, we're asking God, God, how come there's no power? I'm struggling. I'm teaching the Bible. I'm memorizing it. I'm reading it like I've never read it before and there's no power. You don't have to ask God for what is. He's already supplied it and provided it. But God, why am I still in the dark? And he says, you got to flip the switch. You've got to trust him. Faith. What does faith do? It takes it. Peter in that boat, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Jesus said, come. Peter had to flip the switch. There was no feeling that went off in Peter and there was no zap and tingling sensation that went across his body. And Peter says, I think I can do it. No, because God said it, that settled it. He took God at his word, put his dependence upon Christ, just as he did when he trusted Christ to save his soul. Now he trusted Christ for the crisis. And he stepped out of the boat. We know, I don't know how many steps later, but several steps upon the miracle of walking on the water. Something got to Peter. I'll tell you what got to him. It was a, an effect on his five senses. Because in reality, Jesus didn't change. The power of God didn't fail. The storm got bigger, the winds became boisterous, and he was in an alternate reality that was a virtual reality. But I see this, I felt this, I sensed this, I'm going to die. And Peter failed in his faith. And I'm so thankful, however, when Peter, he began to sink and recognize, I do enjoy breathing. And there in that water, he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. And he'll do the same thing for us tonight. But he's given to us a helmet of salvation to protect us. You think those winds might get boisterous this week? You think the waves may come crashing around us? Some of you may be thinking, I don't know when the last time it was that it hasn't been that way. I want to tell you, while everything around you may be changing our God changes not. Amen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, take unto you the whole armor of God that you would stand and stand and stand some more that you won't lose ground. Put on to you this helmet of deliverance. 
Let me close with just reminding us of some verses. You might want to write these down. A few of these you may know. Romans 12 and verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Casting down, what is it? Imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's another in Ephesians 4, verse 22 through 24. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. In other words, that old lifestyle. You don't have to dip back into that. Why? Because he says this, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now listen, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, there never would be a church split if we just obeyed Philippians 4 and verse number 8. There would never be a failed marriage if we just applied Philippians 4 and verse 8. Let me give you two more. Here's one, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. I remember when I first heard this and I heard Dr. Childs quoting this, preaching this when I was in Bible college 27 years ago. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Hear it again. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because, here's faith, he trusteth in thee. And here's the last one. Isaiah 59, verse 16 and 17. And he saw that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. Listen. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. Let's stand together, please.